I ate a huge lunch. Let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> what, let me tell you what happened. I was uh, I had a little had a little bit of bit of a kerfuffle getting getting people off to school. So we had a, we had a special lunch, and I was I had skipped breakfast and I was hungry. So we went to a, a, a neighborhood little coffee shop. Now I've covered extensively what a Dutch sandwich is. That is, someone has misplaced the top layer of bread. So I ordered. <laughs> A, uh, the avocado and feta with seeds on top of uh, a sourdough whole wheat bread that was cut up. Now, if you were, as an American, if you were to see this, you would say, this looks like a great uh, appetizer. I'm really looking forward to that sandwich I ordered. Uh, but it was tasty and delicious. But I also ordered the four ninety five that's euros, uh, side basket of assorted bread and butter or olive oil. However, the waitress brought butter and olive oil. Um, and uh, as man, a consequence, hungry. Yeah. Like a feast. Now this that's is awesome. this this is you what know, happened the, to no carb cote. Whoa, well, uh, that's a that's a whole other topic we could get to. Uh, but uh, now you remember, like way back in the fall, I turned into to to calorie counting cote instead of oh, no carb okay. cote, which was not not an effect here. Uh, but uh, yeah, the bread there, like Dutch bread, is great, especially if you go to like hoity toity fancy bakery restaurant, and uh, it was all delicious. Is that what it's called? I think that's how you translate it from the Dutch. Yes. How do you spell hoity-toity? Is like H U G H T Y? I don't know. I mean, if 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 it's if it's in standard Netherlands, there's a double A somewhere in it. And, I, I uh, thought it was spelled Higgy. That's right, Higgly Piggy. Higgy-toity. Yeah, Higgy-toity. But uh, as a consequence, uh, I have eaten a lot of bread, and um, I feel really stuffed, and I'm I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen at dinner time, but. Um, I don't know. I'm as I get older, and you know, especially when you have the uh, two to three weeks of nothingness, where you've got time, you're forced to reflect on your life and slow down at the uh, the holiday, the Christmas, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, I don't know. I'm just giving up on some things. Maybe I'm just going <laughs> to eat a lot. I, I just I I can't help it. I don't know what to do. I like that. This is a New Year's resolution we can all get behind. It's time to just give up on some stuff. What have you been trying to do? That's just not working for you. It's time to get. Please just uh, give up on it now. Uh, uh, I'm feeling that. My New Year's resolutions were: we'll start those come February. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I think that's. I I, I need to. Uh, I am often. I am often told directly or indirectly, or by the fact that no one talks to me again, that like I always put things in very cynical, dark ways, and I'm not positive. Right. So instead of saying, for example, that I need to find more things to give up on, what I'm supposed to say is I need to focus on the most important things, uh, oh. which I think is the positive way of putting that. Um, but that is good. I think mm-hmm. I, I think that people who tell me that I should speak positive, I'm, I'm going to be very blunt here with our special friends, the podcast audience is like I find that insulting when people are like, oh, your diction is screwy, so your ideas are better. I'm like, whatever. I, I'm a machine. You want me to read a word that I can rephrase this in a positive way? Does that work out better? Does it get this? Because you know me. In my enterprise marketing, I'm outcome-focused. Uh, I just want to drive the outcome. I don't really care. I do think, there. but to your point, like, is, there any, is there any phrase that's, uh, that is more um, counterproductive than telling someone's like, wow, you're, you're, you're really always pretty negative. Like, if you really kind of just stop for a second, like, Whenever you say that to someone, it's like one, it's a pretty negative statement, and then two, it rarely like generates any useful conversation of any like. It's it's useful. It's just not helpful to anyone. So I always yeah. think that's very interesting. When I they're think, like, and it's almost always someone in power 
yes. delivering the statement to someone who has less power, right? It's because yeah. it's and it's you're always like so. Whenever you hear that, like if someone just said I had this conversation, someone said I was really negative, I'd say, well, whatever relationship you have, the probably probably the person that told you that has some type of power over you, whether it be professional, personal, or, or otherwise. And two, it's probably very counterproductive to even trying to change that behavior. So, you know, it is sort of one of those conversations I think we could all, if you're going to have it, find a different way to have it. Yeah. I I mean, I think think if we can take out the set of ideas and people in this context where it's like, you're a fucking asshole who is destructive (laughs) to the world. So we take out those people, right? Uh, Like, I mean, you know. We know who those people. This is like the last ten years or so. Like our community talks about getting rid of these toxic people. What was the um, the book the chef people read? Um, Matt Ray, don't be an asshat. If I remember, um, <laughs> the, the no assholes rule. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, no hat required. Uh, but like you know, you got to take those people out. But then I think there are two groups of people who can tell you you're being negative. <laughs> One of them is your close circle of people, your friends and family, right? And you yeah. know. They can tell you you're being overly negative and you can be like, all right, all right, all right. Let, let me rephrase that so that we can have a productive conversation. And then I think your therapist, they can tell you you're being negative. <laughs> and then that's about sure. it. That's yeah. okay. I think I'm in. I'm in on that role. Let's get, yeah, can we make that a law? Motion, yeah. motion to, motion to approve that. Done. Yes. All right. <laughs> in that light, let's get on with the rest of our podcast where we may be negative about things. Hey, Coach, uh, you've been kind of negative to start this, so yes. if you could get on with the show, that would be really helpful. <laughs> I don't think, yeah. it, I don't think okay. it's helpful. Uh, <laughs> you know, being negative in discussing podcasts is like doing a very poorly lit video uh, is, is really what the equivalent uh-huh. of that is. Um, well, let, let, uh, on a positive front, it's the new year. It There's going to be all sorts of new topics to talk about this year. I resolve there won't be any more Kubernetes. There won't be any more cloud. No more open source talk. Mm, whoa, uh, whoa, hold on! That's starting to get close to home. Uh, wait, 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 wait. Maybe, maybe I resolve uh, to get rid of those resolutions. That's that's <laughs> that's our bread and butter. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I, I, I was, I have been, you know, uh, as as I'm sure people saw, the uh, VMware acquiring pivotal was finalized. I have a VMware email address now. I mean, yes. as as with Are you all, Michael at Dell dot com. No, no, no. There's only one of those. But uh, <laughs> there's even also a, 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 another Michael Cote. I mean, he's a SecureWorks CEO, but I think he oh. has that address. But, oh, oh. this is a reminder. Oh, so, so Someone figured out the, uh, you know, there's always like, never mind the help desk. There's always like that person in IT that you can email to set you up an email alias. And someone found that person for me. I need to email them before it gets too oh. late. Because um, are they trying to give you like Michael underscore middle initial Cote? It's it's a version of that kind of bad. Oh uh, wow! And and you know I don't mind giving out. Well, it's it's basically it's basically if you were to take my last name and then uh, postfix and then put the first letter of my first name at the end of it, that would be my email address. Which, in other words, I have become the Codem. Well, at least and, the spammers have a harder time finding you. You know, I'm a mature. I think I'm 43 now because uh, it was my birthday on February 1st. But like, oh, yeah. I I know how right. the I know how the world works. But I'm still deeply insulted when people don't ask me what they want my email address to be. That's just mm. it's just I I'm surprised that's not like one of the key markers in DevOps reports that's indicative of a generative culture. Uh, so. It's it really is uh, annoying, but anyways, uh, yeah, I was thinking, you know, in in studying up on everything and uh, really getting to know what Tanzu is and seeing all the internal training and stuff like that. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, this thing that Matt Ray's not going to talk about this year, Kubernetes really is sort of like, <laughs> it, re- it really is the thing that's won. And it almost gets to the point where it's like, we don't, you don't really need to talk about it anymore, except as like a thing that you're doing something with. And then, of course, for all the different distros to compete with each other about theirs being better. But it's sort of like, you know, uh, you don't really talk about like, well, the cars is a bad example, but you, you know, there's, there's other common technologies. You're not like, well, uh, you know, this computer competitor to a nail, like we've got three ways of competing with nails. Like we don't talk about nail competitors anymore. We just talk about nails. Um, even though right. I would like to have some sort of uh, UN ISO or global <clears throat> engineering standard, uh, meeting about flathead versus Phillips screwdrivers, mm, uh, because yes. I do not understand why flathead screws exist. I just like, I can, I've thought about this for over a decade and I cannot come up with a scenario where they have a justified existence. Maybe a better analogy is more like uh, white box PCs, right? You don't yes. care if it's a Dell or an HP or a, That's a good you know, one. Lenovo. It's the same, you know, your app's going to run the same on top of that. That's perfect. Right? Hopefully. That's perfect. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so the point being that like it is, uh, I hadn't thought about it till I started, you know, paying more attention to uh, to my my new Tanzu overlords and and their the thinking there. But like, yeah, it's it's just like a PC, like like just it's sort of like instead of it being Kubernetes, Kubernetes is now the word for PC when it comes to like cloud stuff or not. I don't yeah. know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see how it pans out. But uh, but yeah, this uh, uh, I'll I'll have to give some ongoing missums from uh, our man in Tanzu land, Kodum, and see what Kodum, Kodum's up to. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. But, uh, you know, meanwhile, uh, I, I think I, I didn't, I, I'm not a uh, business insider pro, so I don't think I have read extensively, but there was some, some speculation, and I, I, I think, I wonder where this came up, that maybe, uh, maybe Google should buy Salesforce. And this, this seemed like, a very handy, relevant, exciting topic for us to discuss, as uh, well, I believe suggested by Brandon. It's definitely clickbaity, right? Or yes. you know, podcast baity. Um, yeah. But uh, seeing how I don't have a business insider account either, um, I can only speculate. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. I don't think. I think that that's the kind of article that, like, everything after the headline didn't need to be written. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so so may, maybe this is actually just the output of like some sort of Twitter bot that you know, Ooh. company plus acquisition of you know company. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, well, that, that's a right. Stepping back a little bit, there was actually kind of some interesting um, reporting, and it seemed pretty pretty well valid. You know that Google, I guess before um, I sensed this, like before they hired Thomas Curion, right, and sort of as they even going back to maybe the D- Diane Green days that. There was a, a pretty lively debate with Google about like should they get into you know what we now think of GCP right and GCP is usually you know third I think is where it's the rank most of the time on the cloud um, rankings you know maybe second maybe third depending on who you're talking to and maybe so um, yeah I guess Alibaba being in there is a, another one that we we talk less about but it did seem like you know that executive team came together and had like pretty you know a, a pretty reasonable debate about should Google even get into this business and you know as so many you know again just reading the the reports it seemed like hey we're only going to do it if we can kind of be like number one or number two right that's you know i think that's most executives 
you know, you hear this a lot, like, Hey, we're going to get in this market. We need to be number one to two to justify our expenses and, you know, things like that. So it sounded like they want to do it, but they had set a goal here of, um, I guess becoming a top two player by 2023. So, you know, still, I guess three years out. That, so, yeah. um, which is interesting. And, you know, and I thought the the Salesforce speculation is interesting because I think of Salesforce as, and I, I put Service De- um, Service Now, of course, the mm. Service Desk company. I put both of them in this like very unique category. Like if people just ask me, like, what are the most defensible cloud businesses? I would I would usually say Salesforce or Service Now, right? Or, and maybe both because they are the true, um, if you will, realization of enterprise SaaS applications that are very sticky. Like once you move to them, I think it's very difficult um, to move off them. And it's hard, like I know they all have competitors, but you know, whereas we talk about the major cloud vendors all the time, we talk about Azure, AWS, Google, and you know, a variety of others. And you know, there seems to be some healthy competition there. Whereas with Salesforce and ServiceNow, I mean, there's niche competitors, but there aren't really competitors that I, I think are on the same level, right? It's like there's a huge drop off. and. So it makes sense. So if you're if you are Google or any of these cloud vendors and you want to quote unquote be a leader in in cloud, I mean, certainly buying either one of those businesses is going to pr- have a business that's going to be very profitable that gives you if you will a really defensible um part of the business. But I don't know, like would we say like would winning the cloud, right? Quote unquote would buying one of those like really achieve Google's you know dream, right? Because it doesn't really capture the developers. It doesn't capture like necessarily right. building all the applications. So, so I thought that's why it's interesting around like you know when we say cloud and when people are predicting this, it's like well, I guess what is the ultimate goal? If it's just revenue, it makes sense. Yeah. But if it's trying to lead the development of all the new applications, it doesn't seem like it really moves the ball forward there. Definitely, definitely. I, I feel like with. <sighs> I mean, Google hasn't officially said like we're out if we don't get to number two, but as a as a you know potential technology purchaser, I'm like, I can't bet my farm on you anymore, right? I can't I can't say like, well, we're gonna invest in your platform because we like it, but if you don't get enough people like me who like your stuff, you're gonna take your your toys and and, and go home. Um, I think that really did them a, a big disservice, but you know, kind of pivoting on, on the acquisition stuff. Uh, ServiceNow is a horrible fit for how people think about Google. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, the 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 Google folks are like, you know, the the poster children for cloud native, and it's you know, hey, we're gonna do it the Google way, and you should be like us, and you know, Google for everyone else, and all that fun stuff. But like, ServiceNow is really like your traditional, you know, IT service desk model of you know oh there's an issue it opens a ticket i go to that ticket i always you know i send a uh yeah. a run book to go fix it you know it open you know it closes another ticket i update a report you know that's just not really i mean no offense to the service now folks you know they, they got a great business there but that's not really how the google people are pushing cloud native yeah, yeah. right no i think that makes i mean as 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 a side note yeah service now Yes. What? What? <laughs> that is like. I mean. I mean. I. I don't want to turn this into another like. You know. Three. Three old guys talk about. You know. The. The. 90s and early 2000s systems management. Like. You know. Roller coat. Not. It's, carousel. But man, it is just crazy. Here I go. But it's crazy that like. <laughs> that they were like gonna 
Their their position is revolutionizing the stodgy remedy market, and they were actually the remedy people, and now they're the remedy. It's just like, yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it's the story of APM, right? It's the story of all systems management over and over and over again, right? And I think, I think the, see, this is an example of negative diction versus positive diction. <laughs> let, let me do it here in real time. Right. I, I, I think right. they got a really good thing going. They've captured the, the momentum of the yes. 80s and 90s IT style, and they're, you know, they're taking it to, to, you know, 2020. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I think, I think, I think the blame, there's the negative for this happening mm. or the reason these solutions keep being hungered for by the market, uh, so to speak, is that like, I, I guess people want it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, like that ticket scenario you just described or the way APM is done, like basically the major innovations in systems management have been now it's a SaaS. Yeah. And, and, and hey, don't get me wrong. That's a big deal. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that to your point, uh, that, that gets to, I think what this does is it exposes like the, I'll try it in another negative, positive way. The, the aimlessness slash agility of Google's cloud strategy as far as the world knows what it is, right? Like it's it's sort of like we 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 would assume that their cloud strategy is the rest of the other I don't know what Alibaba's cloud strategy is, but I'll I'll be I'll be the, I'll be I'll be the American person and it's not the Chinese word for cloud. Yeah. I'll 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 be the the typical American and just pretend like there's only three public clouds in the world instead of there being like four to six, but whatever. So like, you know, the goal of the other ones are basically to uh get as much as your IT department spend as possible. Like I think that's the corporate goal, right? And then sure. whereas with Google, like to this point, it's sort of like, well, do they want to do it with Salesforce or not with Salesforce? Or like in theory, if you're going after all of the corporate IT, you would get service now because basically every single one of um, like the third slide in your cold pitch, you know, you've got the cover slide with like clouds and aspirational stuff. You probably have like an agenda slide or a bio slide. And then the third slide is the enemy, the Darth Vader that you're going to go slay. And that enemy is basically going to, a large component of it is going to be represent, is what service now does, right? Slow process tickets, hiding behind this wall, waterfall traditional. Uh, and so that's like part one of the heads of the Hydra that like you're going to go out and try to slay. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong or whatever to the point of earlier. That seems to be what people want. And so it would be really weird for Google of all people to go out and like, uh, what's the word? Rehabilitate the Hydra? Turn, turn the, <laughs> like, like, like happens, uh, you know, as a spoiler in that Mandalorian where they make that death robot into a nanny, right? Like mm. you're going to reprogram uh, the death robot to be a nanny. And, but I don't know. It also, like, from a strategic standpoint, if you were to tell me that, like, Amazon and Microsoft were going to buy service now, I would be like, that's a goddamn good idea, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're getting a strong yeah. customer base. You're buying every single account that you want access to and the starting point for converting them. You don't even have to convert them. You can keep them in situ with what they are. It's just, it would be amazing, right? But it's, mm -hmm. I'm vague, too vague on Google to know if that's, like, what they want. 
Yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, this article and, and maybe we're uh, you know, going to make some news. Like, they didn't necessarily speculate on ServiceNow. That's me sort of lumping Salesforce. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but, now. but but I do think I, um, I think I think ser- about- I think ServiceNow is is like that plus twenty. I mean, I think yeah, Salesforce I- is like that plus twenty because it's. Also a completely different type of cloud. <laughs> yeah. And just to give some numbers here, I mean, I was just looking it up as we were, you know, talking about so ServiceNow, its market cap is fifty six billion, and then service Salesforce um, is one hundred and fifty nine billion. So about basically hundred and sixty billion. So, you know, you kinda get to these it's huge numbers and I guess maybe to go back to something Matt said, like one of the reasons you would want to do this would be kind of demonstrating commitment to this market. So what you said, Matt, yeah. was I think if you if you bought this, you would certainly be you know committed to building out a pretty and let's just call it an enterprise focused business for the long run. And you know I, I I think it's general consensus that you know Google has excellent technology, and you know the thing that people are always talking about is well you know will they be able to become an enterprise sales company what what will what will happen and obviously I think Thomas Curran coming on has made a lot of changes to that and just what I've seen I think Google's well on its way to doing that but buying one of these companies would if you will you know if it comes with you know a fully blown you know sales field sales force mm-hmm. right so that would be another thing if you were trying to do it quickly and you didn't necessarily want to do it all uh, all organically buying one of these and trying to expand what people sell uh, and it would just, you know, it would be, it would demonstrate to the market that you're, you're really committed and you have this whole new field sales force to go through. Now, of course, you know, when I say all that, you know, part of me also just thinks like any type of integration of two companies this big is fraught with major, yeah. uh, I don't know. It just doesn't always go well. Right. So oh, that man. would be something you'd have to figure out is like, could you integrate these in a way that would even make sense? And most of the time the answer is it, it doesn't work out well. So that would be probably a case against it. Oh man, that that would that would be like uh, one of the first chapters in my uh, like tech M and A synergy analysis books is like, <laughs> oof, synergies from oof. the existing sales force. Oh, no pun intended. This case, but it's just uh, that's rough. But I think within that article, I think they talk about it being spun out, and so maybe that is that is probably the thing that yeah. Google has that's more unique is that its core business, its web searching and advertising businesses, is, is pretty different from this. So if you did buy a big company like this, and you were going to um, continue in GCP, right, was what you're sort of selling marketing, maybe it would make sense to make that a different organization, kind of built around an enterprise go-to-market enterprise sales structure that is, if you will, separate completely from your traditional and their kind of cash machine of, of selling ads. So yeah, yeah. I could see that. I mean, that part kind of makes sense to me because <laughs> you can almost say like, let's, that would, you know, to your point, Quote, or you know, maybe your point was like, maybe if you're just going to say, we're going to create a new culture, right? We're trying to just create something new rather than trying to say, we're really going to integrate these yeah, things. That would and, almost and, be and a very... You, you could, I, I, think, I think you could kind of like a backward experiment scenario experiment here by most people i think i'll do the negative positive thing again most people forget slash don't realize uh that salesforce owns heroku and and the question you would want to say is like so you already on a sort of strategic slide have within salesforce the capabilities you would have again it's very hand wavy of uh of of like combining together a public cloud and salesforce right and how does that work out right is that is that something that there's three scenarios one it doesn't work out so there's no synergies between these two types of company conversation over let's go get sushi uh you know scenario number two is like well 
it should have worked out, and we know why it didn't, and this is why it's going to be different that time, this time. Uh, and a sub part of that scenario, well, I don't know, I don't know Heroku enough anymore, but like, a, a, <laughs> and 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 it's, the the third scenario is like actually it does work out really well, right? There is there's bidirectional. It doesn't even have to be bidirectional. There is one Heroku on its own is a profit-bearing entity, so it doesn't drag down our numbers, uh, and it helps us out somehow. And two, there is actually a positive drag from Salesforce of, of people who want to write um, – Salesforce ecosystem developer people who want to write something in Heroku and maybe even the other way around, right, where uh, you can combine together Mule and uh, and Heroku and, like – all that information that's in the Salesforce CRM and like do some stuff that generates more revenue and customer loyalty out of the, the, the Salesforce and, customer base. And, and there's definitely like, if you start thinking about a, uh, about Google's like AI and big data products, there's probably s- some serious synergies there yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, you're sitting on this, you know, potential gold mine of data. Um, I, I, I'm not, Salesforce savvy enough as uh you know our our ops people will tell you um but there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of really valuable data inside of Salesforce uh that you know probably Salesforce is providing tools to service but I bet if Google you know brought in you know their their point their beanies they yeah. they do a a better job at at leveraging that so I mean to me Salesforce makes <laughs> a heck of a lot more sense than service now yeah um and and there's a lot more synergies and and probably Google needs to make some sort of move to show that they are sincere about now quitting. <laughs> and and you know I guess you know when last time we talked about the the Google getting out of the cloud thing, I, I kind of posited that this was just them trying to get their name in the the press. But it probably if that was their plan, they they kind of backfired on it you know yeah. like i was saying that, that this is a big oh we're we're gunning hard for number two and now it's like well if we don't get number two we're out <laughs> yeah I, so, I i mean as we were talking at the beginning i mean they are the reason kubernetes exists which yeah which i mean all of this is rumors and innuendo and like you know bedtime stories made up in real time as we're talking here but like it is uh w- w- one would like to think that even if not at the beginning, but that right now there is a very thorough, deep type of strategy being done in Google Cloud about Kubernetes. Probably. And so, you know, to the point of like, I, 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 I would assume there's a lot of purposeful strategy stuff going on. And it, it, it's sort of like, you know, getting out of a business by 2023 is a little, I don't know. That seems a little. Well, weird. I think I, I was gonna say I feel like that. You know, to me, that's already that ship has sailed. Like I yeah. think Google's in it for the long haul, just because you yeah, know, but, in this case, you just can't get out. And I think the and so I think what this raises is two questions. It's like one, it's maybe better said this way: if if they're in it, they are at least looking at like what can we do different, right? That's gonna vault this along. So you know, just being any good uh, corporate strategist is like, well, if we continue along current course and speed. You know, we're not necessarily going to see any major change here, right? Like, there isn't, you know, it doesn't seem like 
can we really leapfrog just based on like better Kubernetes? To what you said before, Cote, it's like if it's if Kubernetes is sort of just the the base which we all uh, have and we all work off of, like that maybe isn't enough. So yeah, yeah. they don't, so they, I think, they don't so want to be I, the IBM I, PC of white box, right? World. So I think the thinking here is like, and and maybe you know this speculation isn't even the right speculation, but like it's just interesting. Just the fact that they're being talked about, like they will do something because they want to move up. Mm. I think that's a healthy sign. I think you know that's the other true. cloud. Prof- uh, other mega cloud vendors that we're just like not even talking about right now, and you can just right, name right. them yourself. Like there, there's probably the ones that are you know those are the ones that probably are thinking, or at least have to be thinking about what, what would it look like to be smaller or to exit or to be more niche, right? Because it, you know it's just cost so much money, right, to compete at such the, this well, high level. Like that would be the question. Um, I think those other uh, companies have to face pretty pretty soon. Would be my guess. I, I think what what Google. Yeah, here, here's my my crazy strategy for Google. Um, go for being like the the bizarro cloud to everyone else. Scoop up Nutanix or uh, Atlassian and GitLab, uh, you know Atlassian or GitLab and and Salesforce, and then like you can go toe to toe with Microsoft across their entire portfolio. You know, or you know you've got enough like weird spec. You know, we're at, Throw, throw canonical in there too, right? So you got a dis- so you got your own operating system, you know. And then you're just like this, like, well, if you don't choose that ecosystem, we have this whole alternative ecosystem that, you know, everything is kind of the same, but it's kind of different. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. Yeah. You you just you just uh, created the uh, no pun intended the the canonical uh, metaphoric. <laughs> movie where a team of people is assembled including the british guy with a briefcase to go blow up a bridge in world war ii i think that's that's the uh that's what you've described there (laughs) it's the inglorious cloud (laughs) i like it you said a lot there though man i think we should i i think you should like claim that prediction i think the gitlab being bought by google that's that's a i i like that that's a good one that has legs on it so i think uh it feels like that seems that seems too obvious that it, it makes too much sense, so therefore it won't happen. But that just it would because it would be another way to really strengthen where Google's already strong. Like, you know, get the developers, make it stronger, right? Kind of integrate many of the and a lot. I think there's this a growing uh, and maybe it's just because GitHub got acquired. There just seems to be like a, a growing um, I don't know interest or what, what's the right word there? I guess uh, a strong. I feels like since GitHub got bought. GitLab has become a stronger brand amongst developers, right? People like Absolutely. it more. So, yeah, yeah. so like, why not? Like, if you're Google, like, that seems like a great thing to have to pick up and really just continue to, like, win over the people that are building the apps that you hope they host on your Google Cloud platform. Mm. Yeah, you know, I think here's, here's here, this has been a good discussion. Here's, here's, my, <laughs> here's my thinking on it now. One, one is, like, I think, uh, I don't know. Sure, if they bought Salesforce, that would be interesting. Uh, but and and uh, definitely if if we just look at Google or even Google Cloud as a portfolio company that just holds and runs things separately, then then yeah. But I think I think it, just at its core, it's just like it's like when Sears used to run uh, an insurance company in its store, which it spun off as Allstate. It was just like, did that ever make sense? <laughs> right, like that. Those those that just doesn't. Uh, doesn't pan out, right? And I, I always think like, you know, you remember they still have this, but you do remember when that little electronic section that they had in HEBs first came about? Like, I remember when, yeah, I can even think of the life cycle. Like, I remember seeing that show up, and I was like, this is kind of weird. 
right? Like yeah. it's like the reverse of of Target having a grocery store, which I think has actually worked out really well uh, nowadays. And when Walmart had a grocery store, which which is an, an instructive weird glom on uh, thing. But so HEB started having this electronic thing. And I think maybe a couple of years ago, they finally ripped it out of my HEB they were, and they just made it into a row of electronics. But it was just like, I don't know, man, I don't want to go buy a plasma TV at HEB. If that's even a thing, <laughs> that's just totally weird. Like, well, you know, you were there for some milk and eggs and a 32 inch TV. I mean, can you imagine if you, if you like laid down like 2000, you bought like a uh, $2,000, like MacBook there, how many buddy bucks you would get with that? That, uh, that is, that's a substantial, that's a, that's a handful of buddy bucks you're getting there. Uh, anyway, anyway, so, so like that would be fun, but I think, I think this is a, uh, this is perhaps a textbook example of, of what, what you could think of as the, uh, you know, the strategy of like the, you know, a drunk, a drunk guy under a lamppost looking for a, uh, for a headline, right? And, yes, and in this exactly. instance, what did it, the, 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 you know, to ruin it by telling the joke. The, there's a joke. There's some guy looking at a lamppost. A cop comes up and the cop's like, what are you doing? The guy's like, I lost my keys. And the cop says, where do you lose them? And the drunk points like way over there. And he's like, I lost them over there. And the cop's like, why are you looking over here? And the drunk's like, I, the light's better. Uh, and so like, I think there's a bias. What you, what's the summary of that bias book? Uh, all you see is what's in front of you. Um, so, I think, I think a lot of an easy way to do a story like this is you figure out how much what the the EV, the enterprise value of Salesforce is, and then you see how much cash on the books various companies have, and then you run your uh, your your Markov chain stuff to figure out a headline for it, right? So there's probably only like five companies that could buy Salesforce, and so you're like, all right, well let's eliminate four of them and let's write an article. Like, so, so, so no no Exxon Mobil, probably no Apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, and Microsoft probably not going to buy them, you know, so. Amazon not going to buy them, so there you go. It's it's uh that's a good approach. Now you want to make sure that you don't do the uh, the drunk under a lamp post for actual M and A. That uh, <laughs> that is not a good idea. It's happened. <laughs> and then and then as a related topic, uh, I want to I want to get y'all's thoughts on this this phenomena of like we only want to be number one or number two in the market. I've never like been comfortable with that. <laughs> it sounds like word therapy well why yeah. why michael it's just why like not been uh, comfortable with that? it's it's you know you know when i was when i was doing strategy i came up with this strategy anti-pattern called what you don't like money which was sort of like um well i'll be number three in the market <laughs> right like that exactly. that sounds like a lot of money and so like now and then you cross there, there's two other things one is just like <clears throat> Bay Area and tech company reformed bravado, uh, otherwise known as stretch goals. And like there's <laughs> there's that part of OKRs where in the OKR book, they're like, you need to make your OKRs aspirational and slightly unrealistic. And, yeah. you know, I look at that and I'm like, I want to make my OKR not fucking exhausting so that like. <laughs> I know, oh, I know the minimum you, amount of work I need to do to make everyone happy and make this company profitable. And then I can go gorge on a basket of bread, right? Like if yeah. I, if I have like, go. if I have like this stretch goal or this thing that is beyond reasonable work to capacity, then I think I'm edging into that, um, the, the wrong side of the, the left side of the Westerum silos, right? Yeah, Where well, I'm, you, you I'm want like that, a caustic you, you, culture. 
you want it to be like, you know, when, when QBR rolls around and you talk about last quarter, you want it to be like we had, you know, seven goals or whatever. And you want like five of them to be green. And then you want maybe like two yellows. You never want the red. Right. Yeah. So the yellow shows like we're trying really hard. We were close. We, you know, we, we got some aspirational stuff. But, you know, the red, if it was all red, you'd just be like, man, I should have just started with the bread. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think but I that's do think fair. you know going back to I think a lot of that number one and number two I think you know Jack Welch back in the GE days I think he wrote some book and that was like a famous GE thing like every business needed to be one or two but if you read I think if you read more about what actually happened at GE what people did was they just redefined their markets right so if you had to yes. be like the one or number one or two Ooh. car company in the world what you would do is you'd say well actually we're going to be the number one or two and then you would just like define the market like for. Uh, North America sports cars that uh, have this engine type, right? So if you do that long enough, <laughs> if you just kind of keep narrowing it down, you can That's... always make yourself number one or number two in any any market. So that was part of it. And then two, I mean, I think a lot of it is like older thinking just around that, hey, markets can generally only, like really big markets will generally kind of, you'll just be like the top three. So if you're not there, you're very vulnerable to like, you know, going out of business or not doing well. But today, right, I mean, you can obviously address that through like cost structures, delivering the business a different way, right? You know, you can have a very, you know, and this is often, um, you know, we talk about this all the time about, well, maybe I'm just going to serve a much smaller set of customers that are not interest um, to like really large enterprise customers. I could probably build a very uh, good business that like Gardner wouldn't consider me in the top three, but like I would just redefine that market as like I own the small and medium niche or even regional, right? You can do that. I think Matt probably yeah, says this a yeah, lot yeah. in uh, Australia, right? Like you can be the number one business in a certain region and that can clearly differentiate you, right? Because you're there and most other people aren't. Yeah, no, I, and I think, I, you know, I, I think, I think you, you, uh, you, uh, you as one of my many, uh, common therapists are helping me work through my uncomfort, Brandon. And I think, <laughs> I think, um, I think part of it is, is the bravado of like the part, the part that I didn't state is like, or we don't want to be in the market at all. And like, that just seems dumb. Yeah. <laughs> right like and now on the, you're making money right? and but but there, there's there's two sort of like follow-ons to that uh one of them is if what you're saying is that it's 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 a a well-known theory in 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 the scientific definition of theory which is to say an unprovable fact so to speak uh if it's a if it's a well if it's a a, a theory that the number one and the number two companies in a market have a um is order of magnitude the right phrase to use here or have an order of magnitude higher valuation than the number three and four in the fifth company, right? And that it's directly tied to the fact, it's kind of in a circular way, that they are the number one and number two in the market. I mean, this would mean that you have to rate them by revenue instead of um, uh, company valuation. But like then that is a slightly different game, right? And it gets you to that point, Brandon, of defining your market so that it, you become the number one or two in there. That's the dastardly way of doing it. And the better way of do, the more genuine way is to do a better mousetrap. So like that's fine. If if like there's some financial technical reason that you need to be number one or number two, you know, do what you need to do. Right. Like, well, but, all of it comes out just like what gets popularized. Like the other book, I think it's uh, Jeffrey Moore wrote a book after crossing the chasm. Right. He wrote something called The Gorilla Game. Right. Which is all about essentially like becoming a gorilla or competing with gorillas. And he talks a lot about too, like a lot of his um, original, I guess the original research 
all comes out of this academic stuff like in the 50s right so like several people have written books that are like popularizing it so i think that's where it's all coming from but like i don't know it just doesn't like to me it just doesn't hold up because you either redefine your market or you just because really what people should just say is like we want to find a, a way to profitably be in this business for the long term and you can do that exactly. there's lots of ways to do that without being in the top three right you just, yeah, yeah, yeah um and you know i know that's sort of just like a truism what i just said but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I can say it for free or you can go read these books and it's like you could still, you know what I mean? You can, you yeah, can yeah, still yeah. find a way to compete. And there's really no reason that being in the top three um, in most cases has to be the end all be all. Yeah. No, and, and then there's one final thing that I'll try to be short with so we can wrap up. But like there's uh, over the years, I've been trying to develop this fallacy of, uh, you know, this fallacy that's like if you make $100 an hour. You should outsource anything that costs ninety nine dollars an hour to someone right. else, right? Right. And the, my, the 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 fallacy in that line of thinking is that assumes that every hour I'm going to be making a hundred dollars an hour, where sometimes yeah. I am not going to be making a hundred dollars an hour. In fact, most of the time I'm not, and so it actually is going to cost me more money to hire someone for ninety nine dollars. Which, you know, and and I think that's sort of like the idea of like if I'm number three, there's a better way for me to spend my money and time, which might be true. But it, again, it goes back to like, or maybe you should just make money as the number three mm-hmm. in the market. But anyhow, well, we, we've, got, we've got to make sure we wrap up in time for all of our, our hard, soft, and goopy stops. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, we, as you can tell, you know, we, we only have one sponsor, which is Arrested DevOps. You know, the problem with listening to this podcast is you want to know something to listen to next. And you should go over to ArrestedDevOps.com or... Search them up in uh, wherever you're listening to your podcast and listen to them. They had a, a great uh, end of year recap, which I, I liked, where they went over their favorite stuff. So you've got a ready-made list of things to go listen to. And uh, there's some conferences coming up. There's some at the end of the month, Delivery Conf in Seattle. And you can even get a 10% uh, discount off of that. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 213. And there's a bunch of stuff out in the future, including we mentioned GitLab. There's one coming up soon on uh, January 14th. You can look into that. And our friends, DevOps Days Austin, are happening May 4th and 5th. I think, uh, I think there might be something software-defined talk-related going on there. We'll, we'll see. And uh, do, we, do we have any feedback from uh, listeners or anything housekeeping we need to go over, Brandon? Yeah, just a couple quick things. We sent stickers over the break to Jonathan in Colorado, Blake in Florida, and our friend Brian in Virginia. So if you would like a sticker... Uh, I can send it to you. Just e- email me your postal address at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Mm. Love those stickers. How about Matt? Yes. What's your, what do you have to recommend to people this week when, they've, uh, <laughs> when they're trying, trying to digest through that basket full of bread that they shouldn't have eaten <laughs> at lunch? They even ate, you know, they, they, their son maybe doesn't like to eat the crust of bread. So when you get one of those toasties, Nice and toasty along around the edges. You might eat those rinds. What are you going to – what's a relaxing way you might sit around so you can digest that bread? Well, uh, I, I relaxed over the break uh, with uh, two long-haul flights. I went, I went back to uh, the U.S. for, for Christmas uh, with uh, my family and my in-laws and stuff. And uh, when, when things got dull, uh, we, we turned on, uh, the kids were into the, the Mandalorian on, on the Disney plus that was one of their Christmas presents. Everyone could kind of be quiet and chill out <laughs> and, uh, you know, watch eight hours of, of, uh, of, uh, you know, pretty, pretty decent, uh, uh, Star Wars content. The Star Wars, we saw the Star Wars movie right before, uh, the, the day we were getting on our plane to fly back to mm. Sydney and, uh, it was fine. 
<laughs> the kids, all right. The, the, the kids liked it. You know, the kids liked it. And uh, I, I came to the realization. I, I mean, I, I knew this intellectually, but I was like, you know, the Star Wars was never like something to like get all that excited about. It was just like, oh, Talk about <laughs> talk about the New Year's resolution of wow. trying to uh, do Very less. Negative, no, no, no. Very no, negative, no, Matt. No, it's not negative. It's like if you don't put it on such a like, you know, high pedestal, it's enjoyable. It's more enjoyable if, if yeah, you yeah. if you set your expectations at a reasonable level, you're probably not gonna be like, you know, oh, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, it was it was good. There, I, there were things where I was like, "Well, that just doesn't make sense," and you know, but I didn't let I didn't let the the negativity and you know second guessing of the story like bring me down. I was just like, "Hey, that was fun, right?" And uh, and I've kind of felt that way about the last six or seven Star Wars movies. And as I'm you know rewatching them with my kids, I'm like, "You're picking out the ones that are actually better than you thought they were," mm-hmm. and you know it's. It's solid entertainment. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I agree. You're basically just like, how come this movie isn't just all Harrison Ford? That's really all I want. <laughs> like, all this other stuff that's happening, I'll have some Princess well, Leia here and there just to, like, move. But uh, I, really, that's all I want. I just want Han Solo. Yeah, you know, they, they killed him off. Uh, yeah. I, I, I <laughs> oh, you just ruined it for everyone, Matt. That's awful. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they need to do some some uh some Harrison Ford deep fakes so that like Harrison Ford can just keep making movies for the next uh, Well years. they they already did that with Princess Leia, so you yeah. know, there you go. Yeah. There you have it. How about yourself, Brandon? Yes, yeah, so uh over the break uh uh, I got my uh, wife a, a new computer. She she never took to Mac, and uh, you know we basically upgrade her computer once every ten years. So I got her a very nice uh, Dell XPS, which I bought at Costco on with a great deal. So that computer is off and running, and she's very happy with it. But it left me with this 2010 uh, Mac laptop, and I you know recently or not recently last year, I actually went the Mac Mini route on my last Mac. So I don't really have like a good like laptop for Mac. So. I grabbed it and I tried to like get it going again and uh it's so old that like it wouldn't even reinstall like whatever it was the operating system that originally came with it just Apple just doesn't do it. So I ran into it and I was just like this is what the internet's great for. Somebody has created the Mac OS Catalina Patcher and what it will let you do is run Catalina, install Catalina on virtually any piece of Mac hardware. And uh it's just a, I was blown away with it, you know, around uh how well done it was. So you basically just download uh, this kind of go through this little process, figure out which version you need, and then sure enough, went in there, put Catalina on this very old laptop, runs fine. There's he even outlines uh, the one app that does not run well on is the Maps app. I guess the Maps requires some accelerated uh, graphic processing, but everything else works perfectly. So if you just have an old Mac laptop sitting around, and the reason I wanted to get Catalina, as maybe those who've upgraded knows, like once you upgrade, if you want your notes, you want everything to sync correctly, it's yeah. important they're all on the same operating system. So if you've made the Catalina jump, like I had, I wanted I wanted everything there. So it's like it's just great, and of course, like it just rings the bell of like wow, like hardware can last forever. It's like this laptop is perfect. I mean, it's just like something I don't really need it all the time, but it's just great to like have around the house and just runs fine. I don't there's no noticeable. Um, it's you know while it's slower, it's certainly not noticeable and very easy to use. So I was just like, hey, there you go, saved me a lot of money. Didn't have to break uh, buy a new Mac laptop. So. Uh, I know Matt had even uh, in a previous episode. I think he even given instructions on how to like upgrade your hard drive and stuff like yep, that. Yep. So I think if you did the uh, the Matt Raid hardware side, I'll say Matt Matt has that. And then you, uh, you took this Catalina patcher, and you put it on there. 
I think that right there, you've got yourself a, a solid migration strategy. You know, you too can live on with unsupported hardware like me. So check it out. You know, you know what I need? I need I need a piece of software that like if I use an external hardware anywhere from like three to 24 months after ever plugging into my Mac that it still works. Like, I don't know <laughs> if this is like I've got some sort of like electrical static discharge in my touch, but I swear to Christ, like my success rate of, of using external hard drives is bad, right? Like I just bought a new one. And I plugged it in. Everything was fine. And of course, I've got this dinky like USB-C hub thing that, I've, as I've discussed before, doesn't stay plugged in well enough. And, uh, you know, like so it gets unplugged a lot and like it'll unplug accidentally, which brings the hard drive down. And then I plug the, the hub back in and the hard drive has disappeared. And then I go plug in another hard drive that I had. And, and uh, you know, Finder is like, oh, this is corrupt. And I'm just like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't get it. Right. Like the, the, it's just sort of like the, the one job that this storage had. It is not doing. I will tell you this. Uh, I don't know. It's probably it's probably made more work than you aren't. Synology. Synology solves this problem. I have been very happy with like, <laughs> I, I, making the leap from USB drives to Synology. It was a, right. very helpful. All right. I, I hear Kubernetes is good. Cloud. Why anyway? Should all be in the cloud anyway? <laughs> what are you doing with these real hard drives? You hybrid cloud person. Get out. Get rid of that. Yeah. Guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, my uh, uh, my recommendation. I've got I've got a couple of recommendations. One free, one very expensive. So, I uh, I bought myself an iPhone 11 Pro, not the gigantic one, not the iPhone 11 Pro Max, and uh, yeah, it's a good phone. I think I think it's as as with many Apple products nowadays. So I used to have the uh, I had the last one that has a touch button, or you know, a, a button instead of whatever the new thing is, mm-hmm. and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I'm into that. It's good. I like the face recognition. So that's a, a step change. But really, the only difference is like, you know, there's more storage. And in theory, there's more battery life. And then it's got that triple camera. And it does actually take really good, interesting pictures. I think there's a lot of potential there. And uh, I don't know, it's got other stuff. That's cool. But you know, on paper, and, and I think it's, it's not waterproof, but it's, it says it's water resistant for 30 minutes up to two meters or something like that, mm-hmm. which I think that basically means you could use it when I'm traveling as a shower speaker. Uh, and uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe I, I could comfortably have it poolside and it'll drop I in the pool it. every now and then and it'll be I love fine. It. Uh, yeah, no, it's good. That's I didn't realize you were had still had the button. Yeah, I think the the major jump is going to the I guess the the Face ID or the ten yeah, the X yeah. as they call it. So yeah, that's a and so, so that is quite a bit better. Yeah, yeah. And, so I, I mean, the case that I'm making is if you're going from the phone that I was going to this phone, it is actually substantial, right? And like for example, when I was stuffing my belly with uh, bread, I uh, nowadays I always pay like always whenever I can I pay um, with my phone, and you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just tap that side button twice and it checks your face and then you can pay, which I guess if you have this kind of phone, you take for granted. But it used to be you would have to like wake the phone up and double click mm-hmm. the thing and then put your f- finger on it to make it pay. But this one is uh, much easier. Well, that's you should be. I don't know if you still have the Apple Watch, but paying with the Apple Watch is a million times better. Yeah, that's, that's, I, that's, I, that's, I, that's my hack, right? Just double click it. And then as soon as you just double click on the watch, you just hold the watch near. You don't have to look at it. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. It sort of just okay, okay. authenticates you. I've al- all right. I've, I've always worried that I'm going to be the weird dorky person who's like doing an upset. Like I'm looking like I'm holding my wrist out to be slit by someone. I mean, you may, but like it's so once you get good at it, it's so much faster than being the quote unquote dur- dorky person who's trying to look at their phone and hold it. You know what I mean? Like, trying yeah, to do that, yeah, like yeah. OK, so okay. Uh, I, th- I think it's a better workflow, but yeah. I'll try it out. Let me know. Yeah. How it is. 
Yeah, but you know, also I think uh, it's it's pretty expensive for just being a phone. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, no, what, you know, what I, like it is, it is, it's it's hard to think of. Like, I don't even know what you would add to a phone where you would be like, "Ooh, that is actually substantial," right? Mm-hmm. Like, I I think. But on the other hand, like I I think the waterproofness that actually is kind of a big deal, and all the things I described based on what I was going from. But if I was just going from my wife's phone which is the buttonless phone to this one, I would be kind of like, eh. Yeah. Like, well, I think, you know, it sounds like you've done it. Like, I think the only way to like make, make your money back is just to extend the, the lifetime of the phone. Like, I think you can get three years out of an iPhone pretty easily now. Oh, like, you yeah, 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 know? yeah. And it's so, so just don't, whereas one point I think like the four to five, you know, maybe every 18, every 24 months made more sense. But, uh, but yeah. all this kind of back to what I, even the Mac hardware, a lot of this Mac hardware, I guess putting aside all these keyboard issues with the more recent generation, but like a lot of it will last a long time. I mean, really, it is something like you can. I mean, don't don't trade it till it like breaks. Totally. So. totally. And and you know, I guess it also has an eSIM, which seems interesting, but I'm not sure if it's as uh, earth shattering as it could be. Like, and 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 to that point, like, uh, you know, uh, personally, I'm not the one in the family who cares about spending money. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough i used to be but then at some point that swapped so i was it's just what, like okay i i had i had to uh, i'm very well trained i had to put in place a uh, i think it was only a week maybe a week and a half long um propaganda campaign to get begrudging um agreement is too strong of a word permission is a bit pedantic but mm. acceptance that i was going to buy this phone so whatever i don't care uh but yeah. Uh, but however, I was excited about the eSIM thing, but the problem with the eSIM is like, which means you could have two SIMs, right? And so maybe if someone knows how to do this, you should tell me basically what I want is a, a U.S. number pretty much for texting. Like that's all I want a U.S. number for. Like mm-hmm. it would be cool to make calls, but I don't care. And so I think what I could do is I think if I wanted to pay 30 to $80 a month, it might actually be 50 because I would only have one line. I could sign up with T-Mobile USA to get an eSIM unlimited, including international data number. And then that would satisfy what I wanted. But I don't have the propaganda creating effort to justify 30 to $50 a month extra spend for something I'm just going to use to like. For taxing. Yeah. For that's texting. kind of painful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which is, this, it's frustrating. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I know Matt has been through this, but like if you try to actually get a reliable U.S. number, it's really hard. And it's probably because of as as everything that you find out when you're an expat and you try to do things that are normal. It's probably because of money laundering, basically. <laughs> it's all. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But it is like, I mean, you can get a Skype number and a Google Voice number and all this stuff, but it just somehow doesn't really. It's not the same. Maybe on an Android device, it would be awesome. But in Apple land, it's difficult. But. I would really like to be able to just add a U.S. number, and I'll pay like five to ten dollars a month, right? That would be, all right. That would somebody, be somebody will know the answer to this. Someone yeah. email or get in the Slack channel and uh, tell Kote how to do this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that T-Mobile thing would be great because then it would work everywhere. I think. Well, uh, oh, also my small recommendation is, uh, of course, as with all Vox podcasts, you can't actually directly link to an episode unless you take the effort to go through overcast and find their uh, their overlay to link to it you know i don't know if if as he calls himself the dog and kara swisher are listening you should fix that problem because it's embarrassing and uh you know whatever maybe it's more important to get twitter to implode than uh than worrying about that but the most recent episode of the weeds 
called, uh, speaking of Star Wars, called Midichlorian Chili, I thought was uh, was great. It's uh, They mostly take listener questions, and they're political and not political, and uh, the questions aren't stupid, and they give equally not stupid and interesting answers. And as always, like, nowadays, I mean, there's two reasons I listen to the weeds and podcasts like this. One of them is for the raw content, the news of what's happening in uh, American politics and politics that America cares about because I'm an American. Uh, and, and two, I think the weeds in particular, if, if you, if you can analyze it from a critical standpoint, from like a, you know, bachelor of fine arts, English degree standpoint, you can really like train yourself and always learn models of thinking and the way that people structure their rhetoric and the way they think about things and get some very helpful models out of which I'm sure we've talked about, you know, Matt Iglesias methods and the methods of, of Daryl Lynn and his other co-hosts a lot. They each have like a very helpful model of how they process the world. But this episode has all of that in it. And uh, I don't think they even talk about like, you know, starting wars and impeachment. <laughs> it's refreshing. So uh, with that, I like it. Check it out. Yeah. Aside from that last mention, this has been your hour of not talking, hearing about politics uh, or, or whatever. <laughs> uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Now go back to the rest of the world and please, don't eat too much bread. This has been Software Defined Talk. You can get the, uh, the ep- show notes for this episode at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 213. And you can find all of the episodes that we have. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> I love bread. I love bread. I eat it every day. That's why I'm here to say I love bread. I love bread. A baguette or a bun. Nothing is as fun as bread. Yum, 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 yum. Got a game on my tummy toe. This party needs a kick. Let's get some bread sticks. In the club or on the street. Bread's all I want to eat. B-R-E-A-D. I love bread and bread loves me. B-R-E-A-D. That's why I'm here to say I love bread.